new life. We can do things in our lives uh, to try to improve ourselves and uh, make our lives better, at least maybe on the outside. But at the end of the day, there is only one who can actually bring us new life. And that's God. And so when I see someone who makes that decision to get baptized, it's a picture that God is at work and that God is at work in a new story bringing new life. So here today are a lot of people. And in a room such as this, there's going to be two different stories going on. There are going to be some of you who have already been baptized. You made that decision to get baptized or in the Genesis language got drenched whether it was recently as a few months ago or some of you maybe got drenched uh, years ago and maybe some even got drenched, baptized uh, decades ago. And there are some here today that have yet to be baptized. And so this morning, I just want to ask two questions. Uh, I really want us to consider on two questions. So the question for you, if you have already been baptized, no matter whether it was recently or just years, years, decades ago, this is the question I want you to think about today. This is the question I want you to wrestle with today. And it's this, am I living a baptized life? Am I living a baptized life? Because keep in mind, at the heart of baptism is a story of new life. So if you've been baptized, are you living out the new life that God has given? Are you living out that baptized life? For me, uh, I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church. Uh, but when I became an adult, uh, specifically when I was 21, I made that decision to get baptized, to get drenched. Uh, and I made that decision specifically to say, hey, I'm identifying myself as a follower of Jesus. And the one question that I have asked myself over the past 25 years since I did get baptized is this question, am I living the new life that God has given me, or am I just living a refurbished version of my old life? So over the past 25 years, I think about this question a lot. Michael, is this a story of new life that's happening with you, or is this just a refurbished version of who you once were? Now, if you were to look up the word refurbished in just the dictionary, uh, it would define it for you as this. To refurbish something just means to renovate or redecorate. If you were to look up the word new, it just simply means that, not existing before. And so I've asked myself this question a lot. Am I living a redecorated version of my old self and just trying to improve? Or am I living out a life that didn't exist before I actually met Jesus. And to me, this is the beauty of baptism. Of, it's a picture, it's a symbol of new life. If you were to look at the, uh, the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul said it like this, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. It's that picture when someone goes underneath the water, it's that story of, hey, it's no longer about me, I'm dying to myself. And when that person's raised up, as Paul says, and just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so the question I just want you to think about as we walk through our story today is, if you've been baptized, am I living new life? And not just once in a while or on Sunday or on occasion when it's convenient, but am I living a baptized life? Now, if you're here today and you would say, I haven't done that yet. I haven't made that decision to get drenched. I haven't made that decision to publicly declare uh, I'm a follower of Christ. 
I just want you to think about this question for you, and it's this, why can't I be baptized? Is there a reason why I couldn't be baptized? If baptism is a picture or a symbol of new life that God desires to give to anyone and everyone that would look to Christ, then at some point you have to think, gosh, if God loves me enough and wants to give me new life, then what on earth would hinder me or hold me back from living a new life that God desires to give to me in Christ? I know for me growing up, the thing that held me back from really wanting to come to God was this idea or really this lie that I had believed for just years and years that life with God would somehow be less. And the decision I made when I was 21 was more of a discovery of, no, life with God is so much more. Talk about meaning and purpose and significance and value and worth. So what would hold you back from receiving the gift of new life that God has to give to all of us who would simply look to Christ. So today, I just want to look at one story in uh, the book of Acts. And in this story, we're going to meet two different characters in particular, one who had been baptized and one who had yet to be baptized. The first character that we meet, his name is Philip. And we actually meet Philip in Acts chapter 6, and we are introduced to Philip as uh, he is given the role uh, in the church as a deacon. And deacon just means a servant, and so his role or his task as a deacon was to care for the physical needs of the church. He was to come alongside the leadership, uh, but to specifically care for meeting people's physical needs. But what I love about Philip is he didn't just stop at meeting the physical needs of someone because he knew that there was actually a greater need in place. And so as we learn a little bit more about uh, Philip in Acts chapter 8, it says this, there's a huge persecution that had broken out in the church. And in verse 4, the believers were scattered, uh, who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. So again, Philip is one who has been baptized. And so one of the very first things that we learn about Philip specifically about what it means to live out new life or to live a baptized life is this. It's telling people about Jesus. It's telling people about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and the new life that he's given you. Now, this past week in particular, I can't even count how many conversations I had with people about last Sunday night's game. It was absolutely nerve-wracking, but absolutely amazing to watch the Patriots football game last week. And here's the thing, it wasn't hard, it wasn't weird, it wasn't awkward to talk to strangers about the Pats game last week. It wasn't even difficult to talk to people who can't stand the Patriots. It was actually somewhat enjoyable talking to them about the Patriots. And here's what I discovered afresh this week. We talk about what we love. We talk about what we love. It's not hard. The things that we love, whether it's as simple as a football game or a movie that you've seen or a person in your life, we talk about what we love. We talk about what excites us. We talk about what encourages us. So living out new life or living out a baptized life simply means not talking about what, but talking about who we love. Now for Philip, 
This wasn't weird. It wasn't different. It wasn't awkward for him to talk or tell other people in a new city about Jesus. And if you're wondering why it wasn't, well, he was simply doing what Jesus told them that they were supposed to do. The very last thing that we hear from Jesus before he ascends to go to heaven is in Acts chapter 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will give voice to who I am and what you've seen. Telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Philip was like, man, I just got scattered to Samaria. Jesus said I would be, we would be in Samaria and we're to be his witnesses. So living a baptized life just means giving voice to the one who actually gave you and me life. But I think why so many people have a hard time giving voice to the story of Jesus is because we're trying to do that on our own. And what I don't want us to miss is that chapter, uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Talking about Jesus on my own, like in my own strength, uh, is fearful and can honestly be really awkward. And so that's why I'm really thankful that God said, no, I've given you new life and the new life that I've given you, I've given you my spirit that will empower you to live a baptized life, to live out this new life. And that new life is being a witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So it's not you or me doing it on our own, in our own strength. It's saying, God, you promised that it would be your spirit working in me and through me to help tell the story of the one that I love. So we see a significant part of living a baptized life is telling people about Jesus. But the second aspect of living that baptized life is simply this, going where God wants you to be. Going where God wants you to be. As you track Philip's story in Samaria, in the story of uh, in the chapter, uh, Acts chapter 8, we see that Philip is having tremendous success in the city. It says in verse 8, there was great joy in that city. Meaning, a lot of people in this city were coming to faith in Christ and being baptized. Awesome things were happening in Samaria. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a case of this, but it's kind of that heart mindset of, God, I really just like where I am. I just want to stay where I am. I really don't want my life to be interrupted with something new or with something different or something even unknown. I just want to stay as I am where I am. Again, living out a new life, living out a baptized life means walking out God's story rather than trying to fit God into your story. There's a tremendous difference. If you've been baptized, have received new life because of Christ, it is living out His story, not trying to just fit Him into your story. And so Philip helps us see the beauty of going and being where God wants you to be. It says in verse 26 of Acts 8, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, geographically speaking, Philip is being told here, Hey, Philip, I want you to leave the city where there's currently great joy, and man, I want you to head into the desert. 
I want you to leave what is really encouraging and really exciting, and you can see you're having an impact and an influence. And Philip, I want you to head straight into the desert. So clearly, I can't exactly know the mind of Philip here, but it's safe to say he's, he's got to be thinking, the desert? Really? God, don't you know what awesome things are happening here? What on earth would be in the desert? Things are going so well. Why on earth would I leave a city of great joy? I have no idea how big of a battle this would have been for Philip, but I do know it took an angel of the Lord to come and say, Philip, it's time for you to leave here to go into the desert. And what I was thinking this week about this example is what's true for Philip is also true for us, that God will do whatever it takes to lead you to where he wants you to be in order to help others know him. God will do whatever it takes in your life to lead you to the place he wants you to be so that you can help those that are there meet Jesus and know who God is. Now, whether it's an angel, whether it's a circumstance or a situation that arises in your life, or whether it's just a person that God is going to use, God will lead you to that place. But here's the kicker. There might not always be where you want to go. Like Philip going to the desert, there might not always be where you want to go. But remember, Philip is showing us that new life or a baptized life is not about where you want to go or be. Rather, it's about where he wants you to be in order to help those around you know Jesus. And so just practically speaking, to encourage you with this is where you work right now, it matters. Like where you live in your specific neighborhood it matters. Where you currently go to school, where you currently study, it matters. God has planted and placed you in a very specific place for the reason He wants you to use you to help those that are around you catch a glimpse of what Jesus is like. And if God wants you to be somewhere else in a different town, in a different city, in a different job, in a different school, well, I can promise you that he will lead you to make that become a reality. But until that happens, enter into and enjoy where God has you because he's using you there. I'm thankful for Philip's example of new life or baptized life because he does what he was invited to do. He heads into the desert. And when he heads into the desert, we meet our second character in this story. And we pick up that part of the story in Acts 8, verse 27. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. And the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, what do we know about our, our second character? We're not given his name, we just know he's from Ethiopia, he's a eunuch, which would be somewhere a, p a person in a position of influence or power. This individual specifically was a high-ranking treasure that served right underneath the queen. And we also know that this high-ranking official traveled a thousand plus miles to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now, a thousand miles to us, you could probably knock that out at 80 miles an hour, 15 hours, you'll be there. But for them in first century, traveling a thousand miles, that would have been at least a three-month trek. So we know that this man had somehow, in some way, heard about 
the Jewish faith. And so he was curious to know, hey, I want to make a journey towards Jerusalem uh, to specifically worship God. Now, the story doesn't tell us all that is happening here when he was in Jerusalem, but it does give us a really important detail as he is now beginning his journey back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And it says this, he's reading his Bible. So when I think about this Ethiopian eunuch, I'm thinking about a guy who is curious. He's searching, he's wondering, he's hungry to learn, he has questions. And again, the story doesn't give us all of the details, but one thing is clear. This guy wants to know something more about God. If that's you, if you're in a place of just wondering, if you're seeking, if you're trying to figure out who God is and what life with God means and the new life that God wants to give you, I just want to encourage you, that is a good place to be. But I'd also want you to know that the Spirit of God who's working in you right now, causing you to even think about God, is also working in someone else's life so that your paths will cross. See, it's not just about what God wants to do in our life. God's doing something in someone else's life around you to cause a story where your two paths will cross. And so as we go on, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch are about to meet one another. And so it says in verse 29, the Holy Spirit, and now Philip's in the desert, said to Philip, go over and walk alongside beside the carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? And so he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this prophet talking about himself or someone else? If Philip is still at all wondering at all, why he was led to go into the desert, I'm guessing that question, that curiosity was quickly answered when he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who just happened to be reading his Bible and who just happened to be reading specifically a passage in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus. So Philip asks this Ethiopian eunuch a question, very simple question, hey, do you understand what you're reading right now? And the Ethiopian eunuch replies with two questions of his own. Well, how can I possibly understand what I'm reading unless someone instructs me? And then he looks at Philip and says, well, what about you? Is it possible that you could help me understand who this passage is talking about? And what I love about what Philip does next is he enters in again to the story because he wastes no time in answering that question. It says in verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, meaning Isaiah 53, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the book of Isaiah, it's a book in the Old Testament that was written roughly 700 plus years before Jesus ever even came. And Isaiah 53 in particular is a chapter that talks about God's good news, that he would one day send a Savior, a Savior who would suffer in order to make a way for sinful man to be brought back into relationship with God. 
wanted to give you a snapshot of Isaiah 53 because it said that Philip began with that very same passage in Isaiah 53. So I wanted you to hear what this Ethiopian eunuch would have heard Philip explaining to him is, hey, this is God's good news for you. So this is Isaiah, just a few verses from uh, Isaiah 53, starting at uh, verse 6, says this, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, talking about the suffering servant who would come, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And then you look at verse 11, it says, When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, the Savior and his suffering that would come, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all of their sins. See, what separated me, what separated you, what separated humanity from God is our sin. And I want to be clear, not just sin in general, not just the sin of the world, but your sin and my sin, your unrighteousness, my unrighteousness, it cut us off from God because God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And one of the things that Isaiah talks about and the Bible talks about is the consequence or the penalty for sin is just death, a physical death, but also a spiritual death, a separation from God. But this is the good news of God is that Jesus, who had no sin, he was perfect, stood in the place of sinners so that sinners could be counted righteous and reunited with God forever. And so, Philip explains to this Ethiopian in this desert discussion is that if you look to Jesus in faith, you could be counted as righteous before God. Imagine in the desert, this Ethiopian eunuch reading something, not having any understanding what's happening, and God just happened to raise up Philip to say, I'll explain this to you. And he hears this amazing news that God made a way for him not by his attempts and his uh, being religious and moral and pious, that God made a way that he could be counted righteous because of Christ. Well, this Ethiopian eunuch, upon hearing this news, has a decision that he's going to need to make. And ultimately, it's a decision we all need to make, and it's this decision here. Will this become my good news? Because once you hear the good news of what God has done, what he's inviting you and me into, what he was inviting this Ethiopian eunuch into, is we have a decision. Will this become my good news? Will Jesus' perfect life, painful death, glorious resurrection that rescues us, us from being separated from God and bring us to God, will this become my good news? See, the Ethiopian eunuch, he made the decision to say, this is my good news. I will look to Jesus. If this is what God's done for me, if I could be counted righteous before God and receive new life, forgiveness, have peace with God, why wouldn't I? And so he receives the good news for himself. You know what's amazing? 
The very first question that he asks upon making a decision to receive the good news is in verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Two questions for us today. What does a baptized life look like, and are we living that out for those that have been baptized? And for those that have yet to be baptized today, that is the question. Why can't I be baptized? If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and I want to be clear, some here today, I've been praying that you would make the decision to make this good news your news, that you would make the decision to say, I want to look to Jesus to receive new life, forgiveness of all my sins, be made right with God both now and forever. Some will make that decision today. Some of you have made that decision months ago, some made it years ago, and some even made it decades ago. So I would just ask whether it is a new thing in this moment or a thing you decided years ago, is there any reason why you wouldn't get baptized? For me, I had, over the years, I've heard lots of different answers to this question, one being, you know, I'm just not ready to get baptized yet. And my question to that person, if you're thinking that same thing, would be this. Well, okay, well, what does ready look like? Because if Jesus on the cross said it's finished, and you're now looking to Jesus and trusting Jesus, then what are you seeking to finish that he didn't already do? Some might say, well, you know, I just don't know enough. I need to learn some more. I need to discover some more. I just need some more knowledge. Okay, I would ask you the question, if you know Jesus, well, then you know enough. But my question would be, if you know Jesus, you're identifying yourself with him, not with what you know now or might know one day. And some might say, Mike, I'm just kind of waiting for that special moment. Like when it's, you know, not 20 degrees outside or when it's like a a perfect blue sky and there's a rainbow over the church and I'm just waiting for that perfect, perfect moment to make that decision to get baptized. What I would encourage you with is just this. What's going to make baptism special is not when you do it. It's not even how you do it. What's going to make baptism special is that you did it. Is that there was a moment in time where you said, man, I'm following Jesus. And if baptism is a picture where I have the opportunity to make public that private or that personal decision, then I want to get baptized. And I love Philip's response to the Ethiopian eunuch. He says to the Ethiopian eunuch, why can't I be baptized? In verse 37, he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. If you have been baptized today, My question for you was simply, are you living new life? Are you living that baptized life? Telling people about Jesus, the one you love, and going and being ultimately where God wants you to be. As we spend some time in worship, spend some time in prayer, that would be my heart for you. God, strengthen me by your spirit to live a baptized life. And if you're here today and you haven't been baptized I would ask you the question, why not? What are you waiting for? If you are a Christian and you're going to make that decision now, or you're a Christian, you made that decision months, years, decades ago, 
God's inviting you. It's not me. This is God's word inviting you to say, I want you to get baptized as a public proclamation that you're a follower of Jesus.